were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Do we lose our slides? Oh, they're, they're back. Just like that. All right. All right. Great. Good. Thank you. Well, welcome, friends. Welcome to Lent. Welcome to the first Sunday of Lent. So I have to ask, what are you giving up? <clears throat> Oh, a little chuckle there. I, 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 have a, I have it on good authority that there's some people right here within the sound of my voice who are giving up vegetables for Lent. And it's a good thing. It's absolutely a good thing. It's not a joke. Uh, I'm not, I, I kid you not. I kid you not. Huh. Lent. It's interesting, isn't it? Lent is a rich penitential season that's aim is to welcome us into a hopeful humility, sharpening our sensitivities to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to the places within our lives that need awakening, renovation, complete transformation. Ash Wednesday, just a few days ago, and the first Sunday of Lent really do kind of set the stage and give us a framework for entering into this beautiful and powerful season. And the first Sunday of Lent always includes the 40 days of temptation that Jesus underwent in the wilderness. And so it's that 40 days that informs our 40-day practice. Take away the Sundays, you get 40 days. But this year... This particular year in the church year calendar, the, the three-year cycle, the, the, there's, there's actually a three-year cycle of the Sunday lectionary, and this is year B, this is year two. It's very different than the other two cycles. The first year follows Matthew's gospel. The third year follows Luke's gospel. We're in year B. The second year, we follow Mark's gospel. And it has really grabbed my attention this year. I'm going to do the best I can. Did you hear those passages this morning? Wow, what a lot of fun. But I'm going to do my best uh, to pay heed to what I see, at least, those passages calling to me, and I believe, I hope, I pray, calling to you. I pray what I offer will serve as a helpful framework for your Lent. 
For me, the scriptures today, my first impression, and as I've gone back to them again and again, I continue to feel this way, these, these, these all put together, these passages, as we step into Lent, it seems like we're stepping into a war zone. I wonder if any of you had that impression. Consider this. We begin in Genesis with the rainbow. God's covenant sign to all of creation. Now, we love rainbows. Boy, there was that amazing rainbow back in in January that all of us, half the town, took pictures of. Rainbows, they're breathtaking. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. And yet, dear friends, we need to remember why the rainbows are even there. Rainbows don't just happen out of nowhere. Rainbows are a weather phenomenon that only emerge when in the midst of a rainstorm or just after a rainstorm. And this covenant rainbow in Genesis 9 has just come after the mother of all rainstorms. Oh my. The great flood sent as judgment on all sinful flesh across the world. Devastating. Absolutely devastating. With only an ark preserving the tiniest remnant of humanity and other creatures. So from the rainstorm's bow, we move to Mark. And again are invited into the language of battle. We're back now at Jesus' baptism. We actually started here in Epiphany many weeks ago, but now we're back to it. We're back to Jesus' baptism, and we're reminded of Mark and Mark's language, Mark's way with words. He's thrifty. There's an immediacy about his words. There's a brevity, but also this is the language of apocalyptic. In verse 10, you see that underlined there in verse 10, as Jesus comes out of the water, he sees the heavens torn apart. Torn apart. The Greek word here, I've, I've given it to you there. No way I can pronounce it accurately, especially with all you listening to me. If I were in another community, I would pronounce it boldly, but I'm not going to do that here. But the root word is schizo, and it communicates the heavens are being ripped open. They're being torn open. They're being sliced open. Biblical scholar and preacher Brian Blount offers it this way. Clouds tearing, heavens ripping, divine voice booming, spirit descending. This is terrible, untamed tiger talk. It's the language of slashing and slicing, shredding and clawing until something once locked up on that safe and seldom seen heavenly side over there knifes its way free to this historical human side we're standing on over here. Wow. Commentator David Jacobson says Jesus' baptism in Mark is being portrayed as an act of apocalyptic cosmic disruption. It's as if God is declaring in this moment of Jesus' baptism, it is is on. It is on. We're just getting started. (laughs) We move on to the Holy Spirit driving Jesus into the wilderness, not leading, 
driving Jesus into the wilderness. Mark's account has no mention of fasting. Now, I just need to say that doesn't mean, of course, that this season doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be any fasting. It was meant to be a joke, but it's actually true. You all, fasting such a good, good practice, such a helpful practice, a centering and uh, an awakening practice. But no, there's no mention of it here in Mark. And additionally, there's no exposition on the temptations in Mark, is there? Nor any dialogue between Satan and Jesus at all. Both Matthew and Luke have this. And more often than not, on our first Sunday in Lent, we sit with those multiple temptations and the dialogue and the wrestling that Jesus is going through. Not this year. Rather, Jesus emerges from this apocalyptic baptism and heads directly into a wilderness battle tempted by Satan among the wild beasts with angels waiting on him. It is cosmic. Wow, what is going on here? Finally, 1 Peter. 1 Peter speaks to the suffering many within the church are experiencing, and in the midst of their suffering, Peter points them to Jesus and to Jesus' suffering. But not only his suffering, he goes on to discuss Jesus' harrowing of hell. This is the passage, and only a handful of others like it, where we get that whole doctrine and understanding of of, of the harrowing of hell, that in Jesus' death, God defeats death. And in his rising, Jesus addresses the spirits in prison who've been there from the days of Noah. We've got a callback here. Noah and the flood. Wow. Wow. Brothers and sisters, welcome to Lent. Wow. As I sat with these passages for the past week, the more I sat with them, the more I got a sense of perhaps what's going on here, at least uh, my insights, I was brought to tears. And a new and fresh perspective on this season. So again, I hope this helps you. I have three invitations for you that I offer you. And the first invitation is this. As we begin this season of Lent, look at our God. Look at our Master, our Savior. Look at our warrior going to battle on our behalf the moment he emerges from those baptismal waters. Look at our Savior. Our mighty warrior not stopping at death, but rising and doing battle in death's prison and in his resurrection and ascension, establishing all angels, all authorities, all powers are subject to him. I think of the the saying, it's attributed to everybody, including Philo and Plato, and it's probably not true for either of them, but it goes like this, everyone you meet is going through a battle you know nothing about. Be kind. Always. Be kind. Everyone you meet is going through a battle you know nothing about. And I think of the kindness of our Savior, our mighty warrior, whose weapon is his life. 
who lays down his life. I think of our mighty warrior addressing the spirits in prison. And most assuredly, if it's consistent with what Peter has been talking about, they're offering them mercy, forgiveness, resurrection, life. And I wonder, do we need to go deeper than just giving something up for Lent? Does this Lent need to serve as a wake-up call for you? from slumber of one type or another? Is there a battle that, by grace, the Holy Spirit leads you, or you need to allow the Holy Spirit to to enter into a battle, a battle perhaps of your own flesh? Perhaps it's a battle you need to re-engage. You've given it up for a time, but it's time to re-engage the battle Dear sister, dear brother, perhaps this is a season where you need to be battled for. You need to be battled on behalf of. Who in here doesn't need God to battle on our behalf? And he is, and he does, and he will. Perhaps your battle is simply to Surrender, to remain, to be still, to allow God to be warrior, to allow God to be refuge, to allow God to be hiding place. Look at our God in this season. Look at our mighty warrior. Look at the resurrection hope. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of evil, in the midst of death, resurrection hope. As I've already said to you, the rainbow, going all the way back to Genesis 9, the rainbow, it's not all sweetness and light, the the way we kind of like to make it, right? We talk about, you know, rainbows and, and puppies and unicorns and all that. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not this kind of rainbow. It's a sobering reality. But it is filled with hope. Ryan Bonfiglio commentates on this saying, In the rainbow, God is not promising the complete absence of loss and destruction in the future. Rather, Genesis 9 promises life after loss, hope after destruction. And he goes on to say, Especially as we enter into the season of Lent, we are mindful that the promise of the gospel is not life without death, but resurrection from the dead. And once again, this is the promise that 1 Peter places all hope in. He puts all of the chips into the middle of the table and says, This is my wager, if I may be so crass, that our baptism, our baptism in Jesus Christ is squarely focused on our resurrection hope in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the suffering that you are experiencing, hold on to the hope Grab hold of the one who has grabbed hold of you. Lent is designed, dear friends, to be a 40-day preparation for us to more fully and joyfully celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ at Easter. 
and our resurrection hope right along with it. That's what this preparation is all about. And this season invites us to consider before God and one another. Where does resurrection need to take place in your life? Is there a resurrection in a part of your life that needs to take place? Is there a part of my life where resurrection needs to take place? Now, of course, if we're talking about resurrection, then what else are we also talking about? There's no resurrection unless there's death. And so we do. We remember we are from dust, and to dust we shall return. But that is not the whole story, is it? It's part of the story, and we do well and are sobered to remember it. But the focus, the hope, what moves us forward is not death. It's life. Resurrection life. And so again, I'll ask, where does resurrection need to take place in your life? Finally, I invite you, listen to the word of God. The first the last word of God. What's the word of God that, that, that God gives us in, in Genesis? If we, if we step back from that rainbow and that covenant, step back and take the whole picture in mind. Again, Ryan Bonfiglio offers it this way. Genesis 9 captures in miniature what is writ large across the canon. Through the promise of God's covenant, the sea and the flood and all that they symbolize will not have the final say. They do not have the last word. Death, destruction, chaos, and evil, as real as they are and as loud as they are for some of us within this room right now. Perhaps for some of us, it is practically the only word we can hear is chaos, destruction, discouragement. But the covenant that God makes with you and me is that they do not have the last word. God has the last word. And then you've got that baptismal word that the Father speaks to Jesus. The Father speaks to Jesus at his baptism, and it is a word because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's a word spoken to us. Now, I've been kidded a lot and teased a lot for quoting N.T. Wright a lot. I just want you to know I've gone for two and a half months without quoting N.T. Wright. Purposely. Purposely. You're welcome. Thank you for the applause. I'm not exactly sure what to do with that. But I'm going to quote him today. It's time to bring him back. Very simply, he says it beautifully, the whole Christian gospel could be summed up in this point that when the living God looks at us, at every baptized and believing Christian, God says to us what he said to Jesus on that day, you are my dear, dear child. I'm delighted with you. He goes on to say, reflect quietly. On this, put your name right there. Say it over and over again. Listen to it over and over again. Reflect on God saying that to you, both at your baptism and every day 
sense. Listen to the word of God to you, over you, through Jesus Christ. And think on 1 Peter. Think on 1 Peter. What must those words that Jesus spoke to the spirits in prison have sounded like? Can you imagine? By all means, there must have been some judgment taking place there, but here is God in the flesh, the resurrection and the life, closing the loop on that horrible event thousands of years previous and offering a word of mercy, offering a word of life, offering a word of resurrection power to the spirits in prison. Welcome, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the season of Lent. What are you giving up? Even more, what battles are you facing into? What do you need from God? What, 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 what do you need to offer to God? Where does resurrection life need to take place in your life? Where does resurrection life need to take place through your life or someone else? As you begin this season, we've been invited by these passages to begin with the end in mind. Keep always the end in mind. Where is this all going? As we take seriously the things they need to die, the things within my life that need to be given up so that resurrection life might be possible. As you begin the season, look at your mighty warrior. Look to your resurrection hope and listen to your God who has the first word and the last word over you.